All right, we're continuing our um, series, My Time Has Come. Last week, Jesus fought off an attack by the Pharisees and the Herodians. When it was not a physical ta- attack, of course, but an attack intended to back him into saying something he could be arrested for by the Romans. This was the first time we'd heard of the Herodians. They're Jews, just like the Pharisees, but the two parties are on opposite political sides. The Pharisees are Jewish nationalists, and in the centuries before Jesus was born, they became a strong political party, as well as a strong religious force with great power among the people. The, these are the, the Pharisees are the ones that people go to for instruction. The Herodians, as their name suggests, support Roman rule of Palestine rather than um, Jewish rule. So it's really unusual to see these two parties joining sides. Um, And it shows us exactly how much of a threat Jesus has become to political stability in the region. And today, another group joins the opposition, the Sadducees. We have heard of them before. The Sadducees are the social elite among the Jews. They don't draw their power from the common people like the Pharisees do. They get their power from their close political and economic ties to the Roman hierarchy. The Sadducees are generally speaking the aristocrats. They are the priestly class. In fact, Caiaphas, the high priest, was appointed to his position by Rome just four years ago. The Pharisees and the Sadducees bitterly oppose each other, mostly over points of Jewish theology, but also politically. One of their main points of contention is the idea of a final resurrection of the dead. The Pharisees have fully embraced this relatively new idea of a final resurrection, and that makes sense because the people embraced it during the period of exile in between the um, the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament. So, you know, it makes sense to me that the Pharisees would have embraced this idea of this great big final resurrection and day of judgment and all that. But the Sadducees are scriptural purists, and they vehemently oppose this idea, this new idea, saying it's nonsense, it's not consistent with Hebrew scripture, which it isn't. Uh, For them, dead is dead. But the temple, now, that's a whole different story. The temple is is where they draw their power and um, where they operate. They are in charge of the temple, and they are surely not pleased with Jesus' latest shenanigans there. Remember how just this week he overturned the tables of the money changers in the temple and kind of slashed about with a whip. Now, all of that was in Sadducee space. But Jesus is also clearly at odds with the Pharisees. So the Sadducees, I think, need to know which side Jesus is on. Is he on their side or the Pharisees' side? (laughs) So they take this opportunity to ask Jesus their trick question. This particular story is in all three synoptic gospels, although Luke's version, which is the latest one, seems to have been embellished a bit. So let's start with uh, Mark and Matthew's versions, which are identical. 
The Sadducees say, teacher, the law of Moses says, if a married man dies without children, then his brother must marry his widow and beget an heir for him. Now, suppose there are seven brothers, and as each one dies, the next brother marries the childless widow, and so forth and so on. In the resurrection, whose wife will this woman be? And Jesus says, you guys are so far out in left field. You have no clue about either the scriptures or the power of God. It, it, it won't be anything like what you're imagining. Marriage won't even be a thing, just like it's not a thing for the angels. And as for the resurrection of the dead, when God talked to Moses long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were dead, God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, how could he be their God if they were actually dead? Okay, let's think about this for a second. Jesus is pointing out that God doesn't say, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, I am their God. And Jesus is saying that even though their bodies had been long dead by the time of Moses, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were still alive. They simply continued to live after death. They were alive at the time of Moses. They were alive at the time of Jesus. They are alive now. There is no need for some big final resurrection. We are alive now. We will be alive after our bodies are long gone. And furthermore, if we say, well, we know our spirits will always live, but we're talking about the resurrection of our physical bodies, Jesus is telling the Sadducees, it's not going to be like what you're thinking. Jesus is giving a both and answer. He's not denying there's a bodily resurrection. He's just saying we are already continuously alive in every way that matters. Whatever it is we imagine the resurrection of our bodies will be, those bodies will be different. There won't be things like marriage. And the resurrection of our bodies will have nothing to do with the eternity of our souls. We are already alive now in every way that matters. So we don't need to worry about our present earthly bodies. Jesus has always taught that we need to hold our physical bodily lives as loosely as we hold our money, right? God is the God of who we really are, our eternal souls that are held gently in his hands. And this is another reason that I personally don't place a lot of stock in the idea that arose between the time of the Old Testament and the New Testament, that some people's bodies and souls will be resurrected just to be thrown into eternal torment in a lake of fire. That doesn't sound like what Jesus is telling the Sadducees, does it? Jacob, in real life, was a terrible liar, a cheat, and a swindler. But God has always called himself by the name of Jacob. God names himself as I am the God of Jacob. 
Jesus is the promised son of David. And David committed premeditated murder and adultery and all sorts of other things. God is the God of all of us, even those of us who have all these wicked shortcomings. God is healing us and making us whole, and he's got all of eternity to do it. We are precious to God, even in our imperfections. God gave us life, and our lives are held secure in God. God is not going to suddenly judge us and throw us away forever. God has confirmed this over and over, both in his words and in his actions towards sinners. And, you know, and I think when we come face to face with God after death, I I don't, I don't think there's going to be much question in our mind anymore. I think healing will just happen. Um, I don't, I don't know that we can help but have it happen. Um, but that's, you know, that's an opinion and other people have other opinions that are equally reasonable as mine. And we can all live under the umbrella of Christianity. Um, but if you think, um, like, like Jesus is saying, does it, does it matter what we do? Can we just lie and cheat and murder and commit adultery? Well, Jesus says it does matter. It mattered that Jacob and David did the things that they did. All those awful things lead to death. It led to death for them. It it leads to death for us and for the other people involved. And all that is evil and death, everything that is death dealing will burn to ash in the presence of God's holiness. We can choose life now. We can work with God in this world. That's where our choices make a difference. But our choices can never separate us from God's love. God is not going to throw us away. God is pursuing us and wooing us as a lover does. God is calling us all into life. So after Jesus answered um, about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob still being alive, even though they died long ago, the Sadducees kind of scuttle away with their tails between their legs. But the Pharisees, those Pharisees are still hanging in there. Jesus is on a roll. So he decides to ask the Pharisees a question for a change. He asks them about the Messiah. He says, Whose son is the Messiah anyway? And they say, the son of David. Of course, everybody knows that. And Jesus says, then what about that psalm that David himself wrote? You know, the one where he says, Yahweh said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Now, if this is a promise by Yahweh to the Messiah, which the Pharisees and the other religious experts definitely understand this passage to be, then, you know, the way you would read this is Yahweh said to my Lord, the Messiah, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. So Jesus says to them, well, if David calls the Messiah, my Lord, then how can the Messiah be David's son? 
This completely silences all of these learned men who are trying to trip Jesus up. Because really, the only answer is that the Messiah, although descended from David, must be the Son of God. It is astonishing to me, though, how oblique Jesus is being. He he lays out the facts, the signs, the miracles, the scripture, you know, all through his ministry, but he never comes right out and gives them the answer. He always leaves that last step, the, the conclusion he's led them to, up to the listeners. They have to see with their own eyes and hear with their own ears what should be obvious to them. I think the the religious leaders, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, the legal experts, all these guys, all sort of melt away at this point because Jesus turns to the crowd and to the disciples and says, watch out for those guys. They like to walk around in their upper class, long flowing robes, greeting people in the marketplace, taking the best seats in the synagogues and at the banquets, but they devour the houses of widows while covering it up by praying pretentiously at great length. They are the ones who receive the most judgment. Now, that's an interesting way to put it. The word Jesus uses for most means abundant, greater, exceeding, vehement, excessive, These hypocrites get the most judgment, while the word he uses for judgment is krima, which means judgment as in a verdict. It is not the word for condemnation, although it is sometimes translated that way. The word for condemnation is katakrina, which kata means against, so katakrino would be a judgment against someone. And to me, this is an an important difference. We know that Jesus said in John 3 that the verdict will be that these people love darkness more than light because they want to hide their evil deeds. They are going to need a lot of light, an excessive abundant amount of light not an excessive amount of condemnation. See the difference? Jesus goes on to say, it is true that these guys sit in a seat of authority, Moses' seat. So you have to be careful to do everything they say to do. Just watch out that you don't do what they do because they don't actually do what they say you should do. In fact, They make a point to fetter people with heavy burdens that are hard to bear, while they won't lift a finger to help. Everything they do is for show. They exaggerate their religious clothing, their phylacteries and prayer tassels. They love to be called rabbi, which means teacher. Don't fall for this. You are all brothers who have only one teacher, the Messiah. You have only one father, and he is in heaven. So don't call anyone else on earth teacher or father like that. Remember that the greatest one among you will be your servant, and the one who puffs himself up will be humbled, while the one who humbles himself will be honored. 
Now, Jesus is sitting in one of his favorite places in the temple where he can see all the people putting in their tithes and offerings. And as he watches, rich person after rich person comes by to put their offerings in. And many of them put in large amounts. Then a widow makes her way to the offering box. The widow, very poor, puts in two small coins. And Jesus points this out to his disciples saying, those rich guys gave a lot, but they gave out of their abundance, out of their extra, while she gave out of her poverty. She put in everything she had left. She has given the greater gift. Every day during this week leading up to Passover, Jesus teaches in the temple and each evening he and his disciples head over to the Mount of Olives where they are camping just outside the eastern gates of the city. Today, as Jesus and the disciples wearily head out of the temple, the disciples remark on the majesty of the temple building itself and how beautiful it is and how richly it is adorned. And uh, Jesus says, a time is coming when this will all be torn down. Not even one stone will be left on another. Well, the disciples are absolutely horrified. They say, what in the world are you talking about? How will we know when this is to happen? And Jesus tells them, well, for one thing, there are going to be a lot of people claiming to be me. They will tell you, the time is near, but don't follow them. And when you hear news of wars and revolutions, don't be afraid. These things will happen, but the end won't be at hand quite yet. Nations will indeed rise up against each other. There will be huge earthquakes and famines and disease and terror great signs from heaven. But before all this happens, you will be captured and handed over to synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and leaders because of my name. Notice here that Jesus' followers are going to be handed over to both the religious elite and to the secular government. And Jesus says, you, you will testify before them. So make up your mind not to prepare a defense ahead of time. For I will give you eloquent speech. Uh, this uh, Greek word for eloquent speech also literally means the point of a sword. <laughs> I will give you eloquent speech and wisdom, which those opposing you will not be able to stand against nor to answer. Nevertheless, you will be betrayed by friends and family, and some of you will be put to death. And you will be hated by everyone because of me, because of my name. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your steadfastness, you will acquire, obtain, purchase your souls. When you see Jerusalem encircled by armies, know that her desolation has drawn near. 
flee. If you are in in Judea, flee to the mountains. If you're in Jerusalem, get out. If you're in the country, do not enter Jerusalem. For these are the days of vindication to fulfill everything that has been written. Now, that word vindication is sometimes translated as punishment or revenge, and you can certainly read it like that. But it sounds to me as if Jesus is transitioning from literal things that are about to happen to the disciples in the next few years to end-time prophecy. He's done this several times before. And when he starts about talking about fulfilling everything that has been written, he means all the prophecies in the Hebrew Bible that remain unfulfilled. And those are prophecies about the end times and the Messiah. The Hebrew prophecies speak of a terrible time of tribulation for Jerusalem in which many die and the events are cataclysmic, in the middle of which God shows up in great power. The Messiah comes and defeats all of Israel's enemies and completely restores Jerusalem, gathers all the Jews to her, and ushers in a reign of peace. That's what it will take to fulfill everything that has been written. The only thing prophesied after that is a new heaven and earth and a new Jerusalem. But, Jesus says, this will be a terrible time, so hard on those who are pregnant or nursing little children. There will be great distress on the land and an outburst of anger towards this people. They will fall by the sword and be taken prisoner. Matthew adds a lot more detail in his version in chapter 24, reaching, as Matthew is wont to do, back into the old prophecies. But I'm not going to cover all that here. I don't want to get lost in the end-time detail. When we do a class series on Revelation, I'll pull in Matthew's version of this passage, along with all the other related passages. But for now, I want to stick with Jesus' basic message as it appears in Luke 21. Jesus continues, Jerusalem will be trampled by the nations, um, and he uses the word that is usually meant to refer to Gentiles. Jerusalem will be trampled by the nations until the seasons of the Gentiles have come to their fullness. There will be signs in the sun and moon and stars, and the Gentiles, the nations of the earth, will be distressed and perplexed at the roaring of the sea and the swelling waves. People will faint with fear of what is coming, for the powers of the heavens themselves will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with great power and glory. When these things begin to happen, Lift up your heads and look up for your redemption, your release from slavery draws near. I imagine the disciples are sitting in stunned silence at this point. This is a lot to take in and it's very scary. So Jesus tells them a parable. He says, look at the fig tree and all the rest of the trees. When they sprout, you know it's almost summer. It is the same with this. When you see these things begin to happen, you will know 
that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you for sure that this generation, this age, will not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So pay attention to yourselves. Do not burden yourselves with stuff like drunkenness and cares of this world, or the day will come upon you like a trap. Be watchful always praying that you may have strength to escape these things and stand before the Son of Man. When this happens, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who take their lamps and go out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them are wise and five of them are foolish. The word Jesus uses here is actually the word for morons. The foolish ones take their lamps, but don't take any oil with them, while the wise ones take both their lamps and the oil they need. But the bridegroom takes so long to arrive, all the bridesmaids doze off. Then suddenly, in the middle of the night, the shout comes, get up, get up, the bridegroom is coming. All the bridesmaids jump up and begin trimming their lamps. And the foolish bridesmaids say to the wise ones, Oh, our lamps are going out. Give us some of your oil. But the wise ones answer, We don't have enough for you and for us. You will have to go purchase oil for your own lamps. But there is not enough time. While the foolish bridesmaids are gone, The bridegroom arrives, the door to the party is opened, and everyone who is ready goes in to the wedding feast, and the door is shut. When the foolish bridesmaids arrive with their lamps that finally have oil in them, they find the door closed. Banging on the door, they cry, Lord, let us in. But the bridegroom answers, I don't know you. So stay awake. For you do not know the day or the hour in which the Son of Man comes. Jesus tells his disciples, now is the time to prepare ourselves. We've got got to be prepared even if we don't see how these events connect and we don't exactly know which ones happened then and which ones happen in the future. This gives us a lot to talk about in our breakout groups. So let's see what we can do together. All righty. I hope this was a fruitful discussion. There was a lot to talk about here. It was interesting to say the least. (laughs) Talk to me about what you said. There were there were um, three basic questions. One had to be, well, the first one was about Jesus, like within the breath of two sentences, seeming to say two different things. One is, you're going to be betrayed by family and friends, and some of you will be put to death, but not a hair of your head will perish. What did he mean by that? Well, we were talking about the fact that um you were that you were saying before when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and especially the Sadducees um 
that he was talking about that it's all of this is not anything to do with our physical bodies. Right. That we are fully alive, that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still fully alive. Um, and that it's that intactness that you about not what's happening to your physical body. Right. Well, and we also discussed a little bit about how that message was applicable to the situation the disciples were in at that moment. There would be persecution. There would be issues associated with their faith and their following Jesus and carrying his message and that it was very real and very dangerous but, and that they would possibly be martyred, but they, God would be with them. And it would be, I think we talked about the refining fire some, you know, and how for us now it transitions to that, the refining fire. We have challenges, we have issues, we have things that don't feel right to us and how we respond to that now depends on where we are with the message Christ was bringing us. We don't have to fear it. Right. That, that does do not fear seems to be an underlying message. Jesus is trying to get across, right? As scary as all of this sounds, he, he he's he's saying it lots of different ways, but basically he's saying, "Don't be afraid." Which and we basically got out of it that your physical body is just a dressing, it's just a covering. That who we truly are is not our physical body; it's that inner spirit person, you know. Um, it says that we're made in the image of God. And then another place that says that God is the spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Um, I think the essence of our being is the spirit. And so even if this body dies, which they all do and turns to dust, which they all do, that doesn't matter because that's just clothing we're putting on temporarily and who we truly are is that eternal being that's going to go on even after our body dies so it says we get a new body so you know which is what he was talking about to the Pharisees. i mean to the sadducees you know and he said he new body is like something else and i just wonder if what you're talking about there surely is is that as human being has to do with this second part of the question about where he says by your steadfastness in this you will acquire your souls and i i wonder if what he's talking about is that as human beings we cling on to this body we groom this body we take care of this body we look at this body in the mirror every day we care about what other people think about this body we care about what clothes are on this body jesus even talked about that in the lesson and jesus is like trying to pry our fingers off of this body 
and saying, if you'll believe me, you believe me, you will acquire your souls. <laughs> you know, it's not that they, your souls went anywhere or there's some different place. He's trying to shift what we're clinging on to and what we think is important because he said, and, and this is vital, right? Yes. Because if they're still clinging to the body, then when Jesus is crucified, things are going to disintegrate. Mm-hmm. when you know, they are crucified things are going to disintegrate we didn't talk about this in our group but it just occurred to me and it may be a little radical thought but something Shirley said and y'all said triggered this in me yes this body goes to dust this body will be finished at some point it has an expiration date on it all of us do. However, we all know people that have passed from this life that have affected us in such a way that when we use their recipe or we are in a situation, we hear their voice and we know they are still with us and it's the impact they have on our lives that continues from generation to generation, good, bad, and indifferent. Yeah, amen. So like could that. that be what it is? I, I think that's a beautiful way to put it. And it and it gives me a, a great, I've been reflecting a lot lately on miscarriages. And, and this just gives me so much comfort, right? that um, are just around our life. Um, and, and it gives me comfort e- even for, for children who are aborted, who have to be aborted or who their, 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 their mother chose to abort the fetus, whatever it was, whatever it is that happened to us to cause our body, this body to, to fall into dust. Jesus is saying here, none of that is the focus. It's not that it's not important. It is important, clearly. It's not the focus. And so the the, um, uh, follow-on to all of this, which was by your steadfast, by just putting one foot in front of the other and just following God, just doing the things um, that Jesus has talked about. Um, By your steadfastness, you will purchase your souls. And Jesus, Jesus is saying, we are purchasing our souls. We are, another word for that is possessing our souls. Like I had been describing with, you know, right now we cling on to this physical and, and Jesus is wanting to, us to cling on to our actual real identity. Um, Christians are usually taught that Jesus purchased our souls on the cross. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I had uh, stuck a question in there to, to get you to see if you wanted to reflect on that. Did any of y'all talk about that part? I'm going to call out Anne. Could you share some of what you... <laughs> shared with our group about coming into our souls? 
Well, I had just said that, you know, based on Catholic upbringing and why we are uncertain about abortion is we don't know when the soul enters the, the person, whether it's the moment of conception, the sperm hitting the egg, whether it's when the, the baby comes out of mom's body or Christ is talking about purchasing your soul. So does that mean we don't acquire it until we die? <laughs> All good questions. Wow. So what's the answer? Yeah, well, you know, that's what we're talking about. <laughs> Martha, did you have an observation? I, th- I thought I saw a, a, a thought on your face. I, so purchase is about getting something you don't have. Um, and presumably there's a limit on how many things could be purchased is there one for everybody is there more is there enough possessing which still has a property word to it um claiming what's already yours something you've always had and i think shirley talked about that a little bit in our group when it relates to um, owning who we really are um, and that um, we try to prevent people sometimes from owning who they really are and sometimes it's really difficult for lots of reasons to own yourself in the image of God and so um, I, I like the possessing language better um purchasing kind of makes you think there's an exchange right like there's a transaction yeah yes it's transactional like you're doing something to get something but it's a gift we don't have to do anything yeah well, do we? Well, I'm wondering if if um, if if one way to look at it would be as if our physical body, like you've, we've been describing, is a is a house. <laughs> you know, it's it's the house for our soul right now, and our and and yet our our soul and our resurrected bodies, our new bodies, are a different house. I wonder if Jesus is talking about by doing the new things we are moving into our new house. Even in possession of our new home. Yes. Yes. Oh, didn't he say in my house, there are many mansions. Yeah. We're going to be moving to that big house where (laughs) God is. I'm thinking moving on up. <laughs> oh my gosh! All this time, I've always pictured those mansions as houses, but those many mansions might just be the fact of us. Yes, We're our new bodies, our places, for our, our new places, right? Gosh, with fireproof hair. it's just a different way of looking at it i love taking these pieces and throwing them up in the air and 
and really catching them as they come down and seeing how they fit. I I think our bodies will stay here on the earth, discarded as they are, but our essence, our soul, the things that make us special and valuable and important to God will continue. And I don't know, it's like the story about the woman who had many husbands. I don't know that we're going to have relationship with our familial or our tribe, but I think we'll all be harmonious as one. And we won't feel that we're lacking. We'll be complete will have gone through that refining fire, will be pleasing to God, and will be pleasing to the other essences, souls, parts of God that remain. And isn't isn't it um isn't that the invitation now for us to do that and be that now? Why wait? Why wait? Okay, now I'm confused about one thing, though. And this I'm only bringing it up because they talk about resurrection in this part of the lesson. So if that discarded body is our old home and we're going to get a new home and stuff, what is the resurrection about? Because, I mean, you know, those who are dead in Christ shall rise first, et cetera, et cetera. What's rising? Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. What's left? I don't, I'm confused. <laughs> you know, we're going to talk a lot about that when we get to Jesus' resurrection. I was going to say only one person's ever done it and can tell us about it. <laughs> right. I was just thinking about, well, what about Jesus' resurrection? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Because clearly Lazarus resurrected into his like existing human body and then had to die all over again poor guy he had to do it twice <laughs> but but that's and there are others too yeah and that like the and the son of the widow at net nine and you know there have been and the, those played for by the old testament prophets um who were raised from the dead there's been lots of raising from the dead happening um but but um Jesus did it differently. God did it with Jesus differently. Um, and so when we get to that point, we're going we're gonna to look at those questions because those are, you know, important questions. So go ahead and be confused. I was thinking this morning, um, just randomly, that one of the beautiful things about the way you all talk in this class is that I don't feel like any of us feel obligated to make all the pieces fit with each other. We're looking for the concepts. We're looking to understand the call from God. We're looking to understand what Jesus was saying. And we're getting to, you know, and all the other little bits and bobs aren't the important part. It's like these bodies, right? like a double-sided puzzle with extra pieces and some missing. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> right. 
That is going to figure it out. And some of it's going to have missing places and there'll be some extra stuff left over that doesn't exactly (laughs) belong, but it'll be okay. We'll get the main picture. We have the box to look at. I mean, I, I was raised in a lot of different churches where our current kind of thinking would be seen as heretical because everything had to fit and if it didn't look like it fit you had to force it um because everything had internally consistent or quote no inconsistencies or contradictions in scripture and therefore we will go to great lengths to try and make this look like a picture when we've got three different puzzles in the same box. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so under realizing that just really releases this. Gail, I and I wandered in our group a little bit um because this is such a big topic, but I I really focused on, you know, the kingdom is now the, and try to put into context and the grace of a healthy faith-based community and spirituality is that we can really step into unitive thinking as opposed to dualistic, either or, you know, and you use the term trying to live in the both and I can I have a complex mind and I have the ability to think and you know I can hold two things two contradicting things at the same time that the issue becomes to come to peace with that to to fight what I was raised in you know not fight that's a harsh word but to sort out what I was raised with and discern what I'm going to keep and what I need to open my mind to. And um, when we were talking the resurrection, I was raised traditionally and the resurrection was a passion story of Christ and he died for our sins. I grew into a spirituality that says we were saved from the moment we were in the mind of Christ. You know, the, the, and I grew into a spirituality says the person of Jesus came to teach us a different way to live, to love, to forgive. The crucifixion was not the suffering, not that it didn't happen. We hold that too, but it was, you will remember me when you come into your kingdom. The thief saying, remember me, Jesus, when you come in. It's about love and forgiveness. And the resurrection, I worked in, in the counseling field and I worked in prison And I worked in the addiction arena and I saw resurrection every single day. I didn't need to hold that big picture of how it had been defined for me in my faith tradition of my childhood, which I don't take away from at all. It made me the woman I am today. But the kingdom is now when I saw a prisoner be able to hug me and say, peace be with you or God be with you. I knew I made a difference and they had a new life. When I worked in the addiction field and they went, I choose a new life. And one of those slides was choose life. 
That was resurrection. That was life. The kingdom was right there, and I was in the middle of it. What a grace from God. You know, someone defined grace for me one time, a woman that was in prison, was in addiction, and she said, Mary, grace means unearned benefit. And those moments were unearned benefit. They were a gift from the divine. You know, they were a gift to my soul. And how wonderful. And we all experience them. I'm not unique. Each one of you could tell your story of being present to a moment of resurrection. They're all around us, including in my own life. When I go, damn, I should have had a V8. You know, it's like <laughs> I go from ignorance to understanding. And that's the gift, I think, of faith and spirituality and community. And I'm going to shut up. Okay. Well, Thank you. Lots of wonderful stuff. Is there one moment, something I can of say? Of course. Time? Yeah, we're not in a rush, Donna. Well, it's, it's not to open up a whole thing, but something always back, and this is just brought it back up immediately. And I don't know if it's a denominational thing, but I still have always nagging in the back of my mind the thing about cremation. Because there was this always the thing about, no, you had to bury the bodies because they had to be resurrected. And that if you were cremated, then there was nothing. <laughs> it was like there was nothing. And, and that has bothered me from a young child type thing. Every time it was anything about people being buried. I mean, not like I'm saying, oh, no, you shouldn't. But I'm like, I'm not positive where that originated from. And it's still, it's popping up with this discussion again. Like, okay, there's, you know, somewhere there's a link with the body stuff, but I'm glad to be discussing it on a much bigger level than I've ever been able to before. So I appreciate it. Yeah, I think, you know, my, my, my husband's grandmother came from a, a church tradition that um, said that you could abdicate it because you wouldn't resurrect when Jesus returned if your body wasn't intact. Um, and there yeah. was this big family issue because one of her daughters, Arne's aunt, was horrified at the thought of her body being eaten by worms and she wow. desperately wanted to be cremated and so when she died the arms generation had to deal with the situation and so basically what they did is they honored annie doris's wishes and had her body cremated but they also purchased full-size burial plot and uh, have those ashes put in that burial plot and not let grandma come visit, making uh, excuses that the weather's terrible, we'll have to wait till spring, et cetera. So that uh, when grandma came to the grave, she did not know that there were ashes in that grave. Now, complicated, crazy stuff. The way we leave. <laughs> the whole thing seems so ridiculously unnecessary because what about all the people whose bodies are blown oh. What about he, the people who I was know, like, what if he got so in a fire? I mean, I like, yeah, yeah. My thoughts things was, that make no sense. Um, I was thinking about this, and I wonder if some of that 
religious belief harkens back to the ages when they would draw and quarter people so that they couldn't, you know, as an extreme punishment. So they would separate the body and take it to the different ends and not return the body to the people. I wonder if some of that harkens back to that. That's just a thought. I don't have any facts to support it, but I wonder if that has something to do with that concept. Right. And then the other thought when you brought this up, Donna, was my thought was if we resurrect all the buried bodies, I'm, I'm thinking that's kind of zombie-like, you know? <laughs> because that's not that's not going to be a pretty sight. Yeah. How, yeah. how are they going to get all those bones reassembled that are stacked in those artistic arrangements in the catacombs and make sure they all get back to the same, but to the right body. I think it's figurative. <laughs> I think this body is, this, this body is temporary. It has a date stamp. He knows <laughs> I can't tell you how many times as a child I tried to count my hair because of the biblical verse, the hairs on your head. I wanted to know when I was going to die. And I would count my hair for hours. But grains of sand. I didn't figure it out. We had to the the thing about it. We've got Ezekiel to handle the bones. Don't worry about it. We get put in there. Um, the bone, thing. bones gonna rise again. I'll be our bodies being the temple of God is so where we get really into that. I think that what we're get, dancing around though, um, and is the kernel of Donna's question, is this ingrained fear that we have around what if I don't believe what I was told was necessary. And even though our minds can look at this particular issue and just die laughing, no pun intended. Um, You know, you know, how silly it is. The point is the fear. It this that these kernels that we're uncovering as we're peeling away the layers and layers um, that we have taken for granted, it is okay to come to something like this, as Donna has so bravely done, and acknowledge. I have been scared of the stupidest thing and I still feel this. Yeah. Comfort me. And the comfort um, is not something that we can give externally to her. We can surround each other and, and laugh and say, obviously, this is silly. But we can also, with tenderness, say, you know what? It's a dry husk. Love casts out fear. The antidote for that fear is the sure knowledge of God's love. That fear has no power over us. 
that fear has no heritage in us. It has no place in it. And as fear is death. Amen. Because even when you laugh at it, I mean, it is, it's the planted seeds that are back there. Not only I don't believe it, I mean, that whole, but then you go from there to what if I'm wrong? And because it's all been used over time to some degree, manipulate you into any question I ever had, because it was a young child question. I remember asking once about, I couldn't figure out where we were from the time we died to when the resurrection was. And nobody would even, I mean, we just like, you know, don't worry about it kind of thing. <laughs> I was like, yes. well, I was worried about it because yes. I couldn't figure it out. And, and I think you, I think you bring up the perfect question. What if I'm wrong? Yeah. And I would say to that, let's turn it into a statement. I am definitely wrong. (laughs) I know I'm wrong. I know I've missed the point. I know that there are things that I think that I won't think in five years from now. But my, I am held in the hands of utter and infinite love and mercy. And it doesn't matter that I'm wrong. Well, I feel like I'm in that place now as we go through Bible study. It's historical perspective, but the future, I am totally intrigued at the moment with AI And I am so deeply diving into AI and what it's going to mean for us. And what what does it mean to be human? What is consciousness? What is soul? All the questions that this new technology is bringing up. And the thing, when I get fearful, I'm trying to read books by people. I'm reading a book right now about Elia DeLeo, why AI needs religion. You know, because there's a concern about where is the humanness in this technology. And again, traditional teaching helps us even in these moments. I was always taught God is in it all. And if I can just hold on to that, then I don't need to worry. Right now I'm trying to figure out AI and seeing what I can do to stop the loss of morality in this, you know, do I vote for laws? Do I, you know, and that's why the beauty of faith is so wonderful. Cause in those moments I go, Mary, what Mary Patricia Bridget, what were you taught? God is in it all. Do not fear, you know, <laughs> and it's not, and it's do not fear for yourself. Do not fear for your soul. Do not fear that you have believed something wrongly and therefore you will somehow miss God. It doesn't Mm -hmm. work like that. That itself is the voice of fear that what you need to believe is that you have believed things wrongly and God has got you firmly in his lap. Yeah. Do you know what you said there is the, the big evangelical thing. And that's the only thing when they wouldn't want you to go, whatever anybody believed if it wasn't what you thought they should be saved, it's like, well, what if you're wrong? 
So it's better to go ahead and just choose to believe and be right than potentially have not believed. But how do you just choose to do one or the other? I mean, you can't just say, well, I'm pretend like I believe so that I'm sure to heaven. I, yeah. Yeah. It's just all of fear. Like 50 years of my life. And and that's why I'm struggling currently. Because literally I was indoctrinated for 50 years. And I always had questions, but I never asked them because you just sit down and shut up and believe and listen and you know. And um it it's I struggle because I'm like, this doesn't sit with what I was taught for 50 years. Mm-hmm. And, but, but for 50 years, <clears throat> it was us for no more. You know, it was, you have to believe exactly this way. And I always struggled with, but what about other people who still believe this? That's the crux of it. It's not all this other stuff. This other stuff is window dressing. And there are people now and possibly even some of my own children who think I'm kind of a heretic because there are certain things I don't hold with anymore. But, oh my gosh, it's just, I I feel like I'm having epiphanies, you know? Yeah. Like, this hits me and then that hits me and it and the fact of the matter is a whole lot of that really is window dressing a whole lot of that really doesn't matter yeah. and wow it's and a lot of the stuff that i was taught was gospel that i was taught you know we're supposed to be out there shoving this down people's throats you know <laughs> and and not so much those things aren't really are oh, no. sure it's always presented as you're their last chance if you didn't you were the one that was supposed right. to tell them. There's something and, in the message Gail shared with us today that I noticed and I mentioned in our group. When she, Gail was telling the message and, and the situation about the time is near, what do we do? And it was Jesus telling them, you need to prepare. You need to be ready. He didn't say you need to get everybody else on board right now. He said, you be in the right place and be prepared because you don't know when the time is. So if you take care of you and you do what God and Jesus have asked of us, Love God with all your might and love your neighbor as yourself. If we are completely wrong, how is that a bad message? That message improves this entire world, planet, relationships right now. And if we are off and this is a big story that Somebody made up a couple thousand years ago and we're all wrong and it's doom and gloom and we don't know what happens because nobody knows. If you live your life in the moment, loving God, serving God and serving one another, 
to the best of your ability, not fixing everybody else. You can't force anybody else to do anything, but you can show them. You can give them examples Example. by your actions and love. And you can give from that to them from your abundance. Oh, yes. But there it's is... out of abundance. That means I can do something different. Yeah. Yeah. This whole... It's also a reward for what we've been doing. Yeah. The, the whole message, I think, um, I hope, is... is that one of our our lenses of discernment um, is when you're when you're hearing these near inner narratives and feeling these feelings inside of yourself wrestling with what you've learned and versus what you've always thought or been told or whatever one of the lenses is is this a voice of fear Or is this a voice of love? Is this leading to life and relationship in the world around me, my sphere of influence? Or is it leading me to isolation and to death? You know? these are just huge principles. Those are the things that matter. And one of and the very last question had to do with um, Jesus in this lesson. He he's told the Pharisees he's talking about the the kingdom of God is coming, and and he talks to the you know his disciples, and he says, you know, it's like when you see a a, a plant sprouting, you know that things are going to happen, and and that the kingdom of God is going to you know is he this is one of the places that he talks about the kingdom of God not being here and coming you know right which is kind of different than the things that he said earlier where he said where he said um to the Pharisees sees that the kingdom of God isn't something you can point to in the first place it's not something you can see like that it the kingdom of God it he said is inside you. Um, the word can be within you or among you. It's it's already here. And so the the question was, how do we hold these two things? What do we? What do we? Let's just spend two minutes, not not long. How I think we we've discussed it? that amongst our conversation this afternoon. Okay, we we no. talked about it a little bit in our group, um, where it felt like. Um, Jesus was, had been teaching for a long time, teaching his disciples that the kingdom of God is here. And, yeah. and this is how you will recognize the kingdom of God. But also he probably was addressing the expectations of the disciples and the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people of the messianic kingdom of God. Um, and so he was talking, um, in essence, to two different audiences mm-hmm. in that sense of trying to help them to see that the kingdom of God was more than what their expectation was of what the Messiah, who the Messiah would be and what the Messiah would bring. Um, 
and saying, no, look around you. The kingdom of God is already here. The kingdom of God is within you. It's within your neighbor. It's, it's within um, all of us and recognize it. Don't be looking for that deliverance somewhere in the future. The kingdom of God is already here. And I think it's a, a lot to do with what Mary pointed out. It's the both and answer. It's, 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 the, I, it's Jesus saying, has all along, as you said, been saying the kingdom of God is here. You are workers in the vineyard. You need to do the work. You need to be out there serving. This is what life is about, is serving other people. You tell them how much God loves them. That is your job, to tell people how much God loves them and to just give them blessing after blessing after blessing. That is your job. Do your job, he said. You know. But now they're coming to this part that's going to be really scary immediately in their lifetimes even for some of them they will see the fall of jerusalem in 70 bc in 70 common era and um and then for us these end times and all the end time prophecies that jesus has reaffirmed all scary stuff you know and Mm -hmm. and jesus is saying it's all the kingdom of god i forget who said it today god is in all of it Yes. And so be prepared. Do what you're called to do now. Be prepared for the immediate trials you are going to face in your lifetime. And know that God's hand is in the future. Mm -hmm. God has got you through all of this. So that seems like a good place to stop. We talked a long time today. Um, Wonderful. Good stuff. I love you. Oh, and I want to tell you, we will have class next week. But the week after that, we will not have class because my sister's having eye surgery. So I will be gone with her. So um, just we do have class this coming week, but then we're all off for one of these weeks. So I will see you next week. I love you. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. 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 Great class. Yes, wonderful.